The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 20, to the chief musician, a psalm of David. May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob defend you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and strengthen you out of Zion. May he remember all your offerings and accept your burnt sacrifice, Selah. May he grant you according to your heart's desire and fulfill all your purpose, we will rejoice in your salvation, and in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stand upright. Save, Lord. May the king answer us when we call. All right, we are in Deuteronomy. We're going to finish up Deuteronomy 14 today. This is Deuteronomy 14, 22 through 29. It is entitled, The Tithes of Israel. You shall pay attention. If you've never heard anything on tithing before, pay attention even before I analyze it. And if you, if you really pay attention, you're going to be able to see something you've probably never heard in a church before, even before I give you the analysis. I was really hoping you were going to do a message on tithing. Uh, we'll get to that eventually. Yeah. Okay. Verse 22, you shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year. And you shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses to make his name abide the tithe of your grain and your new wine and your oil of the firstborn of your herds and your flocks that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. What do you do with your tithe? Eat it. But if the journey is too long for you so that you are not able to carry the tithe or if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, when the Lord your God has blessed you, then you shall exchange it for money. Take the money in your hand and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses, and you shall spend. What do you do with your tithe? Spend. You shall spend that money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen or sheep, for wine or similar drink. For whatever your heart desires, you shall eat there before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your household. You shall not forsake the Levite who is within your gates, for he has no part nor inheritance with you. At the end of every, how many is this? Every third year you shall bring out the tithe of your produce of that year and store it up within your gates. And the Levite, because he has no portion nor inheritance with you, and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are within your gates, may come and eat and be satisfied that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand, which you do. Before I get into the sermon, I want to tell you that we are still doing 40 Days for Life. Please keep this cause in your prayers. I was just told that in Sarasota County, three babies have been saved because of the efforts of the people that are doing this. That's in Sarasota County alone. Praise God for that. 
This is once again, Deuteronomy 14, 22 through 29, the ties of Israel. We could call this grabbing the green. And the reason why is because Brian, who was here last week, he comes when he can, he's a uh, shift worker. Uh, he said that, oh, uh, Wednesday is, what's that holiday green? Um, St. Patrick's Day. He said, you can tie it in with St. Patrick's Day. Well, grabbing the green. In the past, in Genesis 28, Leviticus 27, and Numbers 18, I have done sermons on tithing in relation to the precepts laid down in those passages. The fullest one to refer to, and which I will exhort you to refer to again, is from Numbers 18. Please watch that sermon. However, to understand the concept of tithing properly, it is necessary to follow the narrative from each of those passages. In the end, tithing is an old Testament concept and a Mosaic Covenant standard. It is not a New Covenant precept. The only time that it is mentioned in the New Testament is by Jesus while speaking about issues related to the law or by the author of Hebrews while making a point about genealogies. Nowhere else is tithing prescribed or even alluded to apart from that. And in fact, to preach tithing would then set up a direct contradiction to Paul's words of 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7. Our text verse comes from Malachi 3. It is verses 8 through 10. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Questions for you. Where is Malachi recorded? Anybody? In the Old Testament. Who is Malachi speaking to? The Jews, Israel, the nation, under what dispensation was he prophesying? The law. A few points. We are not under law. But even if we were, too, though tithing was prescribed for every year under the law, it was only given away by the one tithing every third year. So when your preacher tells you to tithe, tell him you are not under law. And if he comes up with another reason to tithe, tell him, then I will give as they did in the law of Moses every third year. See how he shifts in his shoes at that. For those preachers that say the tithe predates the law because Abraham gave a tithe to Abraham and it therefore falls under what they call the law of first mention, remind them that there is no such law. If he insists on this, then ask him if he makes sure that all believing women whose husbands die before they have children marry the dead's husband brother. That predates the law too. So does the Sabbath observance and circumcision. Does he insist on them? Because if he doesn't, he's being inconsistent in his theology. And if he does, he is a heretic, according to Paul in the book of Galatians, especially concerning circumcision. Lots of things mentioned in the Bible predate the law that you can be sure he does not do or tell others to do. It is a hypocritical and devious way of handling one's theology. In fact, it is shameful. The tithes of Israel had several main purposes that we will review. The reason Genesis mentions Abraham tithing to Melchizedek wasn't because it was being prescribed for believers. Rather, it was setting up a theological point that the author of Hebrews would later explain to us concerning the greatness of Jesus Christ. The passage in Genesis was descriptive. It prescribes nothing. In the end, the main purpose of the tithe was the same as countless other precepts found in the law. 
It was to anticipate and typologically prefigure the work of Jesus Christ. As this is so, and as Christ has come and fulfilled the law, tithing, like circumcision, like Sabbath observance, and numerous other precepts are done away with. They were a mere shadow, but we have the substance. Such truths as these are to be found in his superior word. And so let us turn to that precious word once again. And may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. I've got a couple of thoughts for you today. The first is, whatever your soul lusteth after. It's verses 22 through 26. Verse 22, you shall truly tithe. Asur te asur, tithing, you shall tithe. The whole section from verse 22 until the end of the chapter is in the second person singular. The collective body of people are to accomplish this mandate. They are Israel. At times, however, Moses will certainly use the singular here as if speaking of any single person. Rather than you all, he will speak as if directly to an individual. You, sir, shall do this. Moses is now reaffirming something that had been vowed hundreds of years earlier. He is using the same phrase their forefather Jacob used before he departed to Canaan to go to Padanaram in Genesis 28. He said there in Genesis 28, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I'm going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. There he said, Asur Asurenu, tithing, I will tithe. Understanding that, Israel is being reminded of the obligation first laid upon them there, and then as it was later defined in Leviticus 27, where it said this, And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wants at all to redeem any of his tithes, he shall add one-fifth to it. And concerning the tithe of the herd or the flock, of whatever passes under the rod, the tenth one shall be holy to the Lord. Those words there conveyed that a tithe was required, but they did not tell what to do with the tithe. After that, what to do with it is more fully but not completely defined in Numbers 18, verses 21 through 32. To understand that section, one must watch the sermon on those verses. It is vital to know concerning what will be presented now. The key part of the passage is found in verse 24. It said there, For the tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer up as a heave offering to the Lord, I have given to the Levites as an inheritance. Therefore I have said to them, Among the children of Israel, they shall have no inheritance. The translation there is incorrect and it is misleading. There is no article before the word tithes. Rather, it says, For tithes children of Israel, which they offer up as a heave offering to Jehovah. In other words, it is not speaking of the entire tithe, but a portion of the tithes. That particular portion is offered as a heave offering to the Lord. It is that portion that is then given to the Levites. This is confirmed in what is then done with the tithes of the Levites. Of this it says in Numbers 18, When you take from the children of Israel the tithes which I have given you from them as your inheritance, then you shall offer up a heave offering of it to the Lord, a tenth of the tithe. Again, 
The translation is incorrect and it is misleading. It first rightly says, the tithes which I have given you, speaking of everything that they had received. However, it then says while leaving off the article, terumat Yehovah ma'asur min ha ma'asur. Heave offering Yehovah tithe from the tithe. The part they offer is Yehovah's heave offering. Unlike in verse 1824 that was just cited, it is not to the Lord, but the Hebrew says heave offering Yehovah. It is a tithe of the heave offering tithe. That is again called a heave offering in and of itself shows that not only that which is presented to the Lord is considered in these verses. Any other uses for the annual tithes not presented as heave offerings are dealt with separately. It is that part of the tithes which are not offered as a heave offering that are now to be detailed in Deuteronomy. Again, to fully understand what is conveyed in Numbers 18 and the almost universally faulty translation of those verses, please be sure to watch that sermon. Thus far, Moses has confirmed the previous words concerning tithing. Israel is to, in fact, tithe. They are to take one-tenth of, verse 22 continues, all the increase of your grain that the field produces. The translation is incorrect. Rather than grain, it should read seed. It says, All increase your seed, the coming, the field. This isn't just speaking of grain, but of everything that the field produces, including olives, grapes, and even animals. Everything that springs up from the field is to be tithed. The Lord has already given instruction for the Lord's offering of that meaning tithe sons of Israel, which they offer up to Jehovah. That was from Numbers 18.24. That no longer needs to be addressed in such a specific manner. We had a whole sermon on it. However, not all of the tithe is offered up as a heave offering and then given to the Levites. That which is not is what is detailed in these verses. Before going on, and as will be explained later in more detail, nowhere in Scripture is a second tithe referred to. It has not been mentioned up until this point, and what is stated here has nothing to do with the fabled second tithe that scholars, preachers, and teachers alike speak about, okay? There's no such thing as a second tithe. I'm going to wear you out in the second half of this sermon with that precept, but why would somebody say there's a second tithe in Israel? Can anybody tell me why they would do that? To get money, because they are smart enough to know that it says give away two years of the tithing. And they don't want them to do that in their church. And so what do they do? They say, oh, well, this is talking about a second tithe. And they manipulate the translation. As you've seen, the word the is missing from the word tithe several times, and yet they put it in there. They do this because they don't want to lose out on your money. Here's what Charles Ellicott states. The Talmud and Jewish interpreters in general are agreed in the view that the tithe mentioned in this passage both here and in Deuteronomy 14:28 and also the tithe described in Deuteronomy 26:12 through 15 are all one tithe the second tithe and entirely distinct from the ordinary tithe assigned to the Levites for their substance in Numbers 18:21 and by them tithed again for the priests in Numbers 18:26 He then goes on to say, the tithe described in Numbers was called the first tithe and was not considered sacred. The second tithe, on the contrary, was always regarded as a holy thing. That is absolute poppycock. And I want you to know that I love Charles Ellicott. He's one of my favorite commentators, and you hear me cite him quite often. 
but that is absolute poppycock. Moses is referring to the tithes of Israel that were introduced into the law in Leviticus 27, but which were obligated by Jacob's promise all the way back in Genesis 28. It is to be noted that what Jacob promised to the Lord there was never mentioned again in any manner at all, right up until the time of Leviticus 27. But the very fact that Jacob promised to tithe to the Lord and that Israel had continued to do so indicates that this tithe, this one and only tithe is, in fact, a holy thing, and it is sacred to the Lord. Based on Moses' words here, which are taken as an axiom that this was the customary habit of the people, even since the time of Jacob, as will be seen, he is placing into law how to properly fulfill that obligation as their forefather had promised. With that in mind, Moses now codifies what was once only custom. This is no different than circumcision in the Sabbath. Both of those predate the law of Moses, don't they? Circumcision, Genesis 17, way before the time of the law. And then the Sabbath, Exodus 16, before the law was introduced. They weren't even at Sinai yet. Both predate the law of Moses, and yet both of them incorporated into the law in order to ensure the people observed the rites, observed them in a unified manner, and observed them to the Lord. This is why Moses is defining the one and the only tithe levied upon Israel, which is explicitly stated to be, verse 22 continues, year by year, shana, shana, year, year. This defines the regular interval which the Israelites were to tithe. As there was a largely agrarian society, the natural interval to tithe any particular product was annually. What this probably involved was to bring the tithes as they were ready. At the end of the barley harvest, a tithe would be brought. At the end of the wheat harvest, a tithe would be brought. This would continue on as the things were ready to be brought to where they were dispensed with. Everybody got that? They're going down there three times a year anyway. They have to appear before the Lord for the three feasts of the Lord. And so when you go, you bring your tithes that have come to maturity at that time. That's the point of him saying all the way through the last chapters, rejoice! Why would they rejoice? Because the Lord had blessed them and they're bringing their tithes and rejoicing. Everybody got that? Okay. Of this directive now, Moses says, verse 23, and you shall eat before the Lord your God. Here Moses states this as a customary thing. Before verse 12, 7, nothing had ever been said about it before, either as something the people did or as a command from the Lord. And yet he says it as if the people would already understand what is being presented. In other words, what did Jacob do in order to give the Lord a tenth of what he had been given? He ate it in a meal of gratitude. This is then what his progeny continued to do. And this is what is now being codified into the law of Moses. Apart from that which was to be set aside for the Levites as a terumah or heave offering, remember that from Leviticus 18, I read you a minute ago, to the Lord, this is what is being detailed right here, right now. How do you materially give to the Lord that which he already possesses? He has no need of anything, but we can give of ourselves in gratitude and in praise. This is obviously what Jacob did with the tenth of what he had been given. However, to ensure unity of worship, Moses now adds on a stipulation to the ancient custom, making it a law. This is the whole point of all of these past chapters that we've been looking at. Does anybody remember that? Unity of worship, unity of worship. Go down and do this at the same time, all of you people, unity of worship. We've seen this for 
chapter after chapter in Deuteronomy. He is codifying the law of Moses for one group of people to have unity of worship before the Lord and for one particular reason. What is that reason? Because it anticipates Jesus Christ. That's right. Every single detail of what they are doing is a living parable, typologically anticipating the coming Redeemer. That's why we don't have to do these things, is because we have the substance and not the shadow. For Israel, they are to eat it, verse 23 continues, in the place where he chooses to make his name abide. Bamakom asher yivchar leshaken shemo sham. In the place which he chooses to make dwell his name there. In other words, at the place of the tabernacle and later the temple. This was originally at Shiloh, but eventually the location found its way to Jerusalem, at which time the pilgrim feasts were conducted there. Likewise, the tithes were to be brought there as stipulated in these various tithing passages. Verse 23 continues, the tithe. The Hebrew reads ma'esar, tithe. There is no article before the word. You shall eat before the Lord your God, tithe. Like in Numbers 18, this is a defining portion of what the entire tithe signifies. There, it was limiting to that which was for the priests. Here, it is limiting to that which is for the people. And this tithe is further defined by Moses saying, verse 23 going on, of your grain and your new wine and your oil. These things are representative of all of the produce of the ground. It would include both wheat and barley, as well as olive oil or whatever other products they raised. For example, in Matthew 23, Jesus includes herbs as well. He said to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Such was to be understood. The three categories, grain, new wine, and oil, stand representative of all of the other products of the ground. Also, they were to eat the tithe, verse 23 continues, of the firstborn of your herds and your flocks. These words explain the use of the term zerah, or seed, mentioned in verse 22. The word signifies both seed as in grain, but also offspring as in animals, and it's even used in reference to humans. Israel was to eat these animals before the Lord at the place where he chose for his name to dwell. And the reason given is exactly the same reason why Jacob made the promise, verse 23 going on, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. To end purpose, you may learn to fear Jehovah your God all the days. Here, Moses says that they are to do this in order to learn to fear the Lord. The word is lamad. That was introduced in verse 4-1. It signifies to goad. The people are to be taught as if being prodded with a rod year by year to fear the Lord. It is the lesson Jacob learned at the very beginning, and this is why we're being told these using these words right now. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Moses uses the same word that described Jacob's reaction, yirah, or fear. His words are more literally translated, and he feared, and he said, What a fearful place this! 
He then went on to say that it was the house of God. Moses is directing the people to go to the place where the Lord chose for his name to dwell, meaning the house of God, to eat the tithes with the end purpose of them being goaded into fearing the Lord, just as their forefather, whose name they bore, feared before the Lord at the Beit Elohim, or house of God, and at which place he vowed to give the tithe back to him. Everybody see the connection there? This is why this is being explained so meticulously now in Deuteronomy. When Jacob made his vow, it was a vow that was to continue on into the subsequent generations as a mark of their acknowledgement of the care of the Lord for them. Jacob's promise of the tenth was an anticipatory picture of the coming Messiah. The number ten in scripture signifies the perfection of divine order. The tenth, or the tithe, represents the whole of what is due from man to God. It is a mark of his claim on the whole. In this, the tithe anticipates the Messiah who would mark his claim on the whole of his redeemed. Are you in Jesus? Anybody here? Then you are a part of what this is picturing. It is saying that Christ has laid his claim on the whole. You are a part of that. This is one of several reasons why the church is not required to tithe. It is because the type, tithing, is fulfilled in the antitype, Messiah. Tithing was a shadow of the substance to be found in him. The fact that tithing was a part of the law is, in itself, a second reason why we no longer tithe. We are not under law, but under grace. The law is annulled in Christ. If we can keep our theological boxes straight, we will be much sounder in our doctrine and much less susceptible to being duped and deceived and even demanded into doing something that was never intended for a new Testament church. For now, and with that understood, Moses gives a provision of relief from what could otherwise be a very burdensome trip to the place where the name of the Lord dwelt. Verse 24, but if the journey is too long for you, this is one main reason for having the provision of relief, distance. There is the fact that there was not a church on every corner. Rather, there was only one place of the dwelling of the name of the Lord in the entire land. Why is that? Unity of worship. What is the tabernacle picturing? Every single detail. That's right, Jesus Christ. Every single detail, every color, every measurement, every material, everything about that. Go back and watch those studies, and you're going to see Jesus on every single detail of the making of that sanctuary. Unity of worship in anticipation of Christ. Rather, there was that only that one place of the dwelling of the name of the Lord in the entire land. Israel is a little bit larger in size and quite a bit longer than the state of New Jersey. And there were no planes, trains, or automobiles back then. Taking one's ties such a long distance would be problematic at times, as Moses says, verse 24 going on, so that you are not able to carry the tithe. This is the second main reason for the relief, abundance. The implication is that not only is the journey too long, but the amount of tithe is simply too great. It cannot be easily carried. If such is the case, Moses will provide relief. But before he does, he restates the two main precepts again. Verse 24 continues, Or if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you. The translation here is lacking. The second half of the verse is a form of parallelism provided by Moses. Before I go on, parallelism happens all the time in the Bible. Say it, 
Say it in a different way to confirm what you just said. We went through that with Job last week. You'll see it all the way through the Psalms. The Lord is great. The Lord is glorious, whatever, parallelism. You'll see it again and again and again. Young's translation gives the proper sense. A, when the way is too much for thee. B, that thou art not able to carry it. Back to A, when the place is too far off from thee, which Jehovah thy God doth choose to put his name there. And B, when Jehovah thy God doth bless thee. Everybody see the parallelism? Okay. In other words, the words, but if the journey is too long for you, are then reworded and repeated with the words, if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you. After that, the words, so that you are not able to carry the tithe, are reworded and restated by saying, verse 24 continues, when the Lord your God has blessed you. As you can see, the words, the Lord your God, are added into both of the repeated clauses. The trek which is too far is to the place of the Lord your God, and it is the Lord your God who has blessed you. The aim is to be with the Lord God, but the blessing of the Lord God could actually inhibit going to be with the Lord God. Oh no, such a conundrum is quite possible and something must be done about it. And so Moses provides the form of relief. Verse 25, then you shall exchange it for money. Vanatata bakasef, and you shall give in the silver. In other words, and simply stated, sell the tithe or replace the tithe with silver money of equal value that you have personally stored up. The idea is to take what is overly burdensome and turn it into something that would not be. And more, there is the problem that even if the tithe could be carried, it may be that it is simply too much to eat as previously instructed. The tithe is holy and it is to be consumed, but it would just not be possible to do so in the form that it's in. Then it is to be converted into money and they were to, verse 25, take the money in your hand. And bind up the silver in your hand. It shows intentional care and it shows purpose. This is holy money to be used for a sacred purpose. Bind it up in your hand. The words here are so close to those of Proverbs chapter 7 and yet distinct enough from them that the parallel and the divergence should probably be noted. In that passage, Solomon speaks of the adulterous woman who is looking for someone to snare. In her words, she says the following, Come, let's drink our fill of love until morning. Let's delight ourselves with caresses. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him. At the full moon, he will come home. The husband had a bag of money and was going on a long journey. The Hebrew wording is close enough in both passages to give us the impression that he may be going to do exactly what is prescribed right here in the book of Deuteronomy. If this is what he is doing, the divergence of the passage will follow in a moment. For now, verse 25 continues, and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses. Whether tithe of the seed of the field or tithe of silver, which was exchanged for the seed of the field, it was to be taken to where the tabernacle was located. If silver, then it was to be used for a very specific purpose. Verse 26, and you shall spend that money for whatever your heart desires. And you shall give the silver in all which desires your soul. The word in this clause is ava. It means to incline towards or desire. 
The King James Version quaintly translates this as, whatever thy soul lusteth after. The meaning is that the silver is to be used to buy anything that will make the person happy. As Adam Clark says, this one verse sufficiently shows that the Mosaic Law made ample provision for the comfort and happiness of the people. It is a clear and obvious indication that the abuse of the doctrine of the mandating of tithing by New Testament churches is wholly inappropriate. Not only is tithing not a New Testament precept, the way it is handled by such churches completely destroys the intent and the spirit of what was given to Israel. Go down there and have a party and enjoy yourselves in the presence of the Lord. And what do New Testament churches do? You got to give 10% or the Lord isn't happy with you, right? It destroys the intent of what's being said. Moses not only says that Israel can buy whatever they want with the tithe money, but he even gives some hearty recommendations for the people. He becomes the seller in a store full of good things for a moment, recommending some of the delights that it offers. Verse 26 continues, for oxen or sheep, babakar ubatson, in the oxen and in the sheep. The idea is from the herd or from the flock. The oxen and the sheep are given to represent either category. Whatever meat they wanted, they were to pull out the bag of silver and they were to enjoy themselves. But what good is a meal without something to wash it down with? And so Moses next says, verse 26 going on, for wine or similar drink, and in the wine and in the blinko drink. The word yain signifies fermented, meaning alcohol wine. The word shahar goes beyond wine, and it is inclusive of any strong, intoxicating drink. You might think of it as bourbon or whiskey today. The odd thing about many preachers is that they love to reinsert precepts of the law when it is convenient, such as tithing. But then in the very next sermon, they will both deny and forbid precepts of the law found in the exact same context, such as drinking. Have you heard preachers preach that you shouldn't drink? Have you ever heard that? Anybody? Yeah. Have you heard him, the same preacher say that you're supposed to tithe? Yeah. It's in the exact same verse, folks. <laughs> it is a very inept way of handling scripture, and it results in poorly educated believers who are filled with all kinds of legalistic ideas that only harm the faith of others while fomenting arrogant and judgmental attitudes. Let us take the word of God in context and let us accept what it says without inserting our own presuppositions into it. Moses, now having recommended several tasty delights in two distinct categories, says, verse 26 going on, for whatever your heart desires, and in whatever inquires after your soul. It is a completely different word than the first clause, sha'al. It means to inquire or ask for. In essence, one might paraphrase this as, whatever your soul is curious about or maybe whatever your soul asks for. And when the desires are met with the exchange of silver, verse 26 continues, you shall eat there before the Lord your God. And you shall eat there to face Jehovah your God. In other words, this is how one remembers to fear the Lord. The God who gave the abundance is the same God who can withhold it. In eating before the Lord, there is to be the sense of gratitude and humility, not arrogant boasting. In such a state, Moses says, verse 26 going on, and you shall rejoice. The word is samach. It signifies to brighten up and thus to be happy or even gleesome. 
The tithe was first and foremost to be a joyful thing. This is exactly what Jacob anticipated, and it is thus what Moses determined for the people to carry on with. And it wasn't just for the worker. As Moses says, verse 26 continues, you and your household. It is supposition. But if the passage in Proverbs 7 is referring to a man going to enjoy his tithes, which seems very likely based on the wording, it would then explain why he had the kind of wife presented there. A man who loved his wife would have complied with these words and would have brought her along too. But in his lack of care for her, it demonstrates that he didn't care about the precept of the law. He didn't care about her, and he didn't care about who he had married in the first place because he didn't bother to determine her character, that she would be the kind of woman who would do exactly what she was doing while he was neglecting her. Rather than such an attitude, the one bringing his ties before the Lord was not only to rejoice, but he was to do it with all who are under his authority, allowing them to also be blessed in the Lord while they were blessing the Lord. Give that tithe and the Lord will bless you. Give that tithe and he will open the windows of heaven. Send me your money and this he will do. I promise you abundance. Time seven. Don't you realize that a tithe you must give? That's what the word says. Trust me on this. If you want abundantly to live, you will send it in and not a percent shall you miss. How can you receive God's grace if you don't give? You must not understand what grace means at all. My goodness, is it by grace that you think you live? If that's what you think, you're headed for a fall. Give until it hurts and then give a little bit more. This is what you must do, even if you are poor. Our second thought today, that the Lord your God may bless you. It's verses 27 through 29. In one of the sermons from Deuteronomy 12, I cited the scholar Kyle and talked about the supposed second tithe of Israel. We will go over that again now that we are in chapter 14, repeating a significant portion of what I said there. The scholar Kyle says, In the laws contained in the earlier books, nothing is said about the appropriation of any portion of the tithes to sacrificial meals. Yet in Deuteronomy, here it is, this is simply assumed as a customary thing and not introduced as a new commandment when the law is laid down, that they were not to eat the tithe of corn, new wine, and oil within their gates, in the towns of the land any more than the firstborn of oxen and sheep, but only at the place of the sanctuary chosen by the Lord. And that if the distance was too great for the whole to be transported thither, they were to sell the ties and firstlings at home and then purchase at the sanctuary whatever might be required for the sacrificial meals. From these instructions, it is very apparent that the sacrificial meals were associated with the delivery of the ties and firstlings to the Lord, to which a tenth part of the corn, must, and oil were applied, as well as the flesh of the firstborn of edible cattle. The Bible does not agree with this. It says quite clearly that the people were to eat their ties. It says quite clearly that they were to eat their ties. Everything that he is referring to, along with countless other scholars, Preachers and teachers is a complete twisting or manipulation of what the text clearly says. After his words there, Kyle then went on to speak of what he just inserted into scripture as referring to the second tithe of which the law says nothing. And then, instead of citing scripture to justify his second tithe, he punted, referring rather to an apocryphal book 
Tobit in order to justify a second tithe. As we saw, and as we will again review right now, what is recorded in Tobit doesn't match even closely with what is stated in the Law of Moses. As Tobit says, but I alone used to go off into Jerusalem for the festivals, as was prescribed for all Israel by long-standing decree. No problem there. Bringing with me the first fruits of crops, the firstlings of the flocks, the tithes of livestock, and the first shearings of sheep. I used to hasten to Jerusalem. No problem. And present them to the priests, Aaron's sons at the altar. To the Levites ministering in Jerusalem, I used to give the tithe of grain, wine, olive oil, pomegranates, figs, and other fruits. Here it goes. Six years in a row, I used to give a second tithe in money, which each year I would go to pay in Jerusalem. The third year tithe I gave to orphans, widows, and converts who had joined the Israelites. Every third year I would bring them this offering, and we ate it in keeping with the decree laid down in the Mosaic law concerning it. So right there he acknowledges, even though he didn't mean to, that the third year tithe is the one that's given away. And according to the commands of Deborah, the mother of my father Tobiel, for my father had died and left me an orphan. First, The very fact that Kyle said that the practice of eating the tithes was assumed as a customary thing demonstrates that what Moses says in Deuteronomy is referring not to a second tithe, but to the one and only tithe that was levied upon Israel. This is what is known as progressive revelation. A precept is introduced, and then it is later explained and expanded upon. In Genesis chapter 1, we have the creation narrative. It says that God created man on the sixth day. And then in chapter two of Genesis, it explains what happened on the sixth day in a narrative account. Everybody see that? Introduce a subject and then progressively reveal more about it. Okay. Secondly, Tobit's practice of tithing, a second tithe, is clearly his own voluntary act because the law says nothing about a six-year period anywhere. He then refers to the third year tithe, which will be evaluated in just a minute from our verses today. In his comments concerning how he handles the third year tithe, he clearly diverts from what the law of Moses says, demonstrating that the book of Tobit is both not in accord with scripture, meaning it is not canon, and it is not to be used as either doctrine or for instruction of what the law says. This is also true with the rabbinical writings found in the Talmud. Remember earlier in the sermon, I cited some guy that said, oh, we go to the Jewish writings and here's what they say. To defer to them to justify a second tithe is as appropriate as it is to defer to them to demonstrate that Jesus is not the Messiah. It is very poor biblical scholarship. Scripture alone defines the tithes and scripture defines the one tithe for Israel. Thirdly, the eating of the tithes was stated in Deuteronomy 12, verse 7, without any qualifiers at all, meaning that it was speaking of the one and only tithe that Israel made from year to year. The next words fully substantiate this. Verse 27, you shall not forsake the Levite who is within your gates, for he has no part nor inheritance with you. Is that during the first two years or is that on the third year? It's the first two years, actually. The third year, you give it all away. This time, he's saying, remember the Levites. Keep that in mind. If Israel had two tithes, Moses would not have said what he just said. There are already provisions for the Levites recorded in Numbers 18, as we've already seen today. If a second tithe was speaking of what the people eat, then the first tithe would have already taken care of the Levites. 
Rather, Moses says this for an exacting and specific reason, which is found in the next verse, verse 28. At the end of every third year, mixei shalosh shanim, end three years. This does not mean after three years, but the third of three years. It is a rotating three-year period, as is explained in Deuteronomy 26. The tithe is one-tenth each year. Moses has just told Israel what to do with that one-tenth. The people were to eat it. However, they were also instructed to take some of that tithe and give it out to the Levites. No amount is stated. In fact, it is intentionally left out, isn't it? The implicit reason for leaving it out was provided in verse 23. It was because they were to fear the Lord their God. They sat there eating the abundance given them by the Lord. Then he told them that in this time of rejoicing, they were to remember the Levite. It is as much for the sake of caring for the Levite as it is a word of warning for the Israelite. These people tend to you in your spiritual needs. You are to tend to them in your abundance. It is the exact same precept that Paul refers to who was a Pharisee under the law and understood the need that he says in Galatians chapter 6. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Did he give an amount? Did he say anything beyond that? Nothing. Just take care of the person that teaches you. Everybody got that? That is what he's referring exactly to what Moses is saying about the Levite during the first two years. Paul doesn't give an amount. He simply says, in all good things. The precept is true with Israel towards the Levites. The law has already provided for them. Now Moses is directing Israel to go beyond the law, but without stating any particular amount, because they're supposed to fear the Lord. And why is he doing it? It is because something different happens every day third year with the annual tithe. Verse 28 goes on, you shall bring out the tithe of your produce of that year and store it up within your gates. It says, ma'esar, all tithe. There is, again, no definite article. It is a portion of the tithe being one-third of it. The tithe is 10% per year. Of that, one-third of it, that of the third year, is to be handled differently. That part was defined in Numbers 18 using the exact same words as are used now. Kal ma'esar, all tithe. If all tithe meant what scholars claim, then the second tithe would belong to the Levites as well. Or what Moses is defining in this chapter would be a violation of the previous ordinance. Either way, by inserting a second tithe into scripture, a contradiction is the result. Rather, this third-year tithe is the heave offering to the Lord that is then presented to the Levites. This is exactly why Moses said in the previous verse to not forsake the Levite in the first two years of the tithe. Israel was having one party after another three times a year as their crops, flocks, and herds were coming to seed. On the other hand, the Levites were toiling away as normal, taking care of their people. The obvious thing to do is to invite them, come along, to participate in the first two years of blessing as well. Then, on the third year, the heave offering to the Levites was to be stored up in the gates. Moses then reminds them of why it was to be so. Verse 29, and the Levite, because he has no portion nor inheritance with you, and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are within your gates may come and eat and be satisfied. What is implied here is that the heave offering to the Lord 
through the Levites was then to be dispersed by the Levites, not only among them, but among the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. It is the very thing that would be expected of the ministry. Just as the people were to tend to the ministers during the first two years, the ministers were to tend to the disadvantaged of the people with the abundance that they were provided during the third year. How do we know this is correct? We simply go forward in scripture to see more of the progressively revealed word of the Lord. First to Deuteronomy 26. When you have finished laying aside all the tithe of your increase in the, anybody? Third year, the year of tithing. And have given it to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat within your gates and be filled. Then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the holy tithe from my house, and also have given them to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. According to all your commandments which you have commanded me, I have not transgressed your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. I have not eaten any of it when in mourning, because it said to rejoice, right? You can't eat it during mourning and rejoice, nor have I removed any of it for an unclean use, nor given any of it for the dead. Remember the passage about the dead recently? Everything in this book pictures Christ. We want to maintain the symbolism of Jesus Christ, and that's why we're being shown all of these things and repeating them now. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God and have done according to all that you have commanded me. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel and the land which you have given us. Remember our text verse today, Malachi? I will bring down the blessings of heaven if you do this thing. He wasn't speaking to us. He was speaking to Israel. And he's basically quoting what was already in the law of Moses right here from Deuteronomy 26. Giving you just as you swore to our fathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. Moses calls all of the tithe HaKodesh or the holy. This includes the third year, but it also speaks of the first two years as verses 13 and 14 clearly indicate, and just as Leviticus 27 states, where it says the tithe of the land and of the herd and flock is holy to the Lord. With that understood, the tithe is mentioned in this particular context one more time in a negative sense in Amos 4, verse 4. I'm going to quote you from the LSV. Enter Bethel and transgress. At Gilgal, multiply transgression and bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every third year. Depending on your translation, yes, it may say third day instead of third year, but the context is every third year. The Lord was rebuking the people for doing the things of the law as a pretense for holiness while multiplying transgressions at the same time. They were bringing their tithes every third year according to the law. Oh, how pious I am. But just a few verses earlier, it noted that they oppressed the poor and crushed the needy, which was the purpose of taking care of them in the first place. But the point is made quite clear. The third year is the year of tithing in the sense of giving away the tithe. The other two years, the tithe was also holy, but it was to be a reminder to the people to fear him. It was with that attitude in mind that Moses completes the thought for the day. Verse 29 finishes with, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand which you do. The implication is that in doing what they were instructed to do, they would have within them the fear of the Lord. In this state, they would be blessed in the work of their hands. This was the hope and the anticipation for the people of Israel. But like all things that involve law, it just does not work that way, does it? The same is true now. When a preacher stands in the pulpit and preaches adherence to the law, 
he will certainly have a number of people who will line up in order to cross every T and dot every I. They are doing their best to work their way to heaven, and that preacher is there to spur him along. But most of the people will lose heart. I know, because I've been in legalistic churches. They'll lose heart in what is presented, and they will either tithe while multiplying transgressions, like that guy that just shot all those people up in Georgia. He probably was a faithful tither in his church because he's under law and he's bound and he's, he's got this conflict in him. He doesn't understand the grace of Jesus Christ. And so now he does something detrimental to the people of the world because he's in this bondage. They're out there multiplying transgressions like those mentioned in Amos, or they will not tithe and be under the assumption that they are in violation of the law because the preacher's telling them to tithe. They know that they can't afford to do it. And so they have this internal conflict in them because I'm supposed to do this thing, but I just can't. And so I'm being disobedient to the Lord. Either way, legalism will destroy a Christian. It will, that's all it's going to do. This is the sad and futile state of those who have simply failed to understand the context of what is being given and who have also failed to see the fulfilled typology in Jesus Christ. If we are in Christ, then we are to live as those who are in Christ. And the place to get that instruction, folks, is not from the law of Moses. Rather, it is to come from the body of instruction that tells us that we are in Christ in the first place, the New Testament epistles. I would hope that you would be sound in your theology and reject anyone who tries to put you back under the yoke of bondage known as the law of Moses. Instead, you are to understand your freedom in Christ while not using that freedom to fulfill the lust of the flesh, okay? Live for Christ, live in Christ, and walk in the spirit granted to you through the finished work of Jesus Christ to the glory of God. That is what I would ask you today. Does anybody have any question about tithing? Make sure you bring your ties next week, okay? I just, I please, remember this sermon. If somebody ever comes to you with it, just say, here, I'm going to send you a link to it. But they need to watch Numbers 18 too to get the full picture of what's going on because the words in translations are incorrect and people come out with incorrect understanding of what the Lord is telling us. So keep in mind that you are not required to tithe. Why? Because the tithe is anticipation of Christ just as everything else in the Old Testament is. It's all looking forward to what he has done for us. He has done the work. Get this picture, folks. He has done the work so that we can enter our rest. We don't work our way to heaven and then rest. The purpose of Christ coming was so that he could do it, and then we would be blessed with what he has done. And to say otherwise is to diminish what he did, to say, I know you did a good job up there on the cross after fulfilling the law, but I can do better. You reinsert the law of Moses in any precept at all, circumcision, tithing, or anything else, you are saying, I'm sorry, you just didn't do it good enough, and I'll take care of the rest for you. It is a slap in God's face for the giving of his son for our sins. Understand the simple gospel. Christ died for your sins, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, meaning you are a sinner. If you acknowledge that, you can't save yourself anyway. So what does it say? Christ died for your sins. He was buried, meaning that he really died. And he died for what? For your sins, okay? If he was buried with your sins, and then it says, and he rose again, can sin be a part of what Christ's ministry is? No, that means that the sins are where? They're in the grave. He died with your sin, not in his sin. And he came out of the grave proving that he had no sin of his own, because the wages of sin is death, and proving that your sin is forever gone, and proving that he is God. 
That is the glory of what Jesus Christ did for us. Don't let anybody ever tell you that you have to do something in order to be saved except believe in what Christ has done. And then you can go out and do all kinds of good stuff and get your rewards or fail to do good stuff and get your losses, but you are a saved believer in Jesus Christ from that moment on. Please remember this simple precept. And that's why we go through the law of Moses is to understand the glory of what Christ did for us. Our closing verse, 2 Corinthians 9, it's verses 7 and 8. So let, this is it, folks. This is the only, outside of what I read you from Galatians 6, you know, give whatever good have, share with your, the one who teaches you. So if you have cookies, bring them to your pastor, okay? Uh, but outside of that verse, this is all you're going to get about giving in the New Testament that is prescriptive. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. Okay, let me ask you a question. If a preacher tells you to tithe, what does that do? Necessity. It's necessity, and it contradicts the Word of God. He has now violated Scripture by telling you to give a tithe, because that is necessity. And Paul says, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. If you don't ever give in your life, that is your business. And how much you give, that is your business, and nobody else's. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Whatever your work is, if it's making a lot of money, great. If it's making cookies, great. If your work is doing what I did for 20-some years in the wastewater business, great. Do it to the glory of God. And don't worry about people pushing you around on Sunday morning or Wednesday night at Bible study. Next week is Deuteronomy. Oh, this is great, guys. Everybody knows the book by Jonathan Kahn, The Shemitah? Deuteronomy 15, 1 through 11, big relief for those who can't pay. You can bet. It's entitled The Remission of Debt. That'll be our 47th Deuteronomy sermon. We'll see if I agree with Jonathan Kahn or not, okay? Wait till next week. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. But he also has expectations of you as he prepares you for entrance into his land of promise. And so follow him and trust him, and he will do marvelous things for you and through you, okay? I got a poem for you, but before I do, I've got a question. And if you get it, you get one of those pins from Alana. Sweet young lady sent those up. In Luke, Jesus gave a parable about a Pharisee who bragged about giving tithes. In the same verse, he also bragged about doing one other thing. What was that one other thing? No, he, that was what he was doing, but that's not what he bragged about. That wasn't what he bragged about. Something he did. That's true, but what did he say? I give all my tithes and I do something else. He bragged about it. I do it twice a week. Hey, you get a pin. You get a pin, buddy. Fast. I fast twice a week. Okay, let me read that to you here. I bet you somebody online is just screaming right now. I always get these emails afterward. I got it. I got it. I love when I get that because I know they're paying attention online. Okay, um, let's see here. It's Luke uh, 18. That's a little too far, Charlie. All right, hang on. Good job. I knew you'd get it eventually. You just got to get that. It's hard. I, I would freeze too. I'm sitting there, and I know it. I know the answer, but it, you're, you're stuck because uh, it's hard. Anyway, 18, uh, 9 through 14, we're going to read, and then we'll take the Lord's Supper. Uh, 18, I've got to get back into 
18. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, not within himself, with himself. He's doing it out loud. Extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even as this tax collector, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess, and the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The tithes of Israel, and you shall truly tithe these words carefully here. All the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year. And you shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses to make his name abide, the tithe of your grain and your new wine and your oil, of the firstborn of your herds and your flocks, your bounty on every side, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. Yes, fear him for length of days. But if the journey is too long for you, so that you are not able to carry the tithe such you cannot do, or if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, when the Lord your God has blessed you, then you shall exchange it for money. Take the money in your hand and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses, that fair and pleasant land. And you shall spend the money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen or sheep, for wine or similar drink. For whatever your heart desires, you shall eat there before the Lord your God. And in your mind, thus you shall think. And you shall rejoice, you and your household, you shall rejoice, just as you have now been told. You shall not forsake the Levite who is within your gates, such you shall not do, for he has no part nor inheritance with you. At the end of every third year you shall bring out, as this law states, the tithe of your produce of that year, and store it up within your gates. And the Levite, because he has no portion nor inheritance with you, and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow too, who are within your gates may come and eat and be satisfied, that the Lord your God may bless you and all the work of your hand which you do. Lord God, turn our hearts to be obedient to your word. Give us wisdom to be ever faithful to you. May we carefully heed each thing we have heard. Yes, Lord God, may our hearts be faithful and true. And we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this wonderful word. It's a word of freedom. It's not a word of bondage. And help us to not be caught back into that yoke of bondage by which we have been freed. Through the work of our Lord Jesus Christ, you have removed the burden of the law from us, and we live in the glorious grace. It's so wonderful to contemplate. It's so wonderful to consider. Lord God, thank you for what you did, uniting with human flesh, stepping out of the eternal realm, and doing those things which we cannot do in order to have fellowship with you once again. Thank God for our Lord Jesus Christ, and it's in his beautiful name we pray. Amen. Okay, before we take the Lord's Supper, I got a question for you. What is the main point of the sermon you just heard? No tithing, not tithing, no tithing. 
just want to make sure if anybody was awake during the sermon. <laughs> I'm so glad to get that behind me because Jim especially knows this. He's known me in the Bible, Jim and Linda and Jay and Joan. They came to the Bible class I used to teach at a church years ago. And every time somebody would bring up tithing, I get hot and I get angry. And I get so mad that these preachers are doing this to people. They're not helping anything. They're only harming themselves, the doctrine, and the congregation by putting them under a, a yoke of bondage. And anytime somebody brings it up, even now on Thursday night, man, I just get upset and I just keep going. I'm not going to talk about that today. And the next thing I do, I start talking about it. <laughs> it means a lot to me that people hold to the word. That is what matters. All this other stuff is just 